Welcome to the PEI Podcast, where we discuss all things hearing healthcare related, from hearing aids to balance and everything in between. Thank you for joining us. If you're new here, my name is Dr. Rebecca Blaha, and I am an assistant professor at Salis University in the Osborne College of Audiology. I've been an audiologist for the past 17 years, and I've been with Salis University for the last 10. I specialize in hearing devices, including implantables um, of cochlear implants and bone conduction devices, and also provide services for the management of tinnitus. Today's topic will be auditory processing disorders, and I'm joined by my two colleagues, Dr. Aaron Roman and Dr. Amanda Ayers. Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Aaron Roman, and I'm also a faculty member at the Osborne College of Audiology and a clinician within the Pennsylvania Ear Institute. I specialize in auditory processing disorders, so I'm excited to talk about today. And hello, I am uh, Dr. Ayers. I'm also an audiologist at the Pennsylvania Ear Institute. I have been practicing for about 10 years, and um, I have done a lot of I have clinical experience and some uh, classroom experience with auditory processing disorders as well. So auditory processing has been in the news recently here in Pennsylvania from the midterm elections where uh, Senator John Fetterman requested during his debate with Dr. Oz a teleprompter to assist with his auditory processing. So what is an auditory processing disorder? So I think before we talk about what is an auditory processing disorder, I think it's important to actually define what is auditory processing. So a lot of times when we talk about hearing loss, which is something as audiologists we talk about quite often, we're talking about how are the ears, the organs on the side of our head more or less, how are they functioning? And so when we talk about auditory processing, it's a little bit of a different story. Auditory processing usually refers to the aspect of listening. When I talk to patients, I usually say that hearing, which is what we do with our ears, is very different than listening. Listening is a very active um, activity. It requires a lot of focus. It requires attention. It requires memory. It requires intelligence. And so what it really is, is listening or auditory processing, as we'll refer to it today, is this really complex, very cognitive process Whereas hearing, when we talk about hearing loss, is something that's much more on the sides. And Dr. Ayers, I don't know if there's anything you would like to add to that. Yeah, usually the best way I kind of break it down is, um, you know, our, our hearing, yes, is our perception of sound. And our ears kind of put, bring the sound to our brain. But auditory processing is how well your brain puts all those puzzle pieces back together um, to understand what's being said. Absolutely. So if you want to, if this is sort of difficult to conceptualize, think of it this way. If you think about the word cat, right? When we talk about hearing, hearing is the aspect of hearing the word cat and we get all of the sounds from it. So the ka sound, the a sound, and the t sound. That is what hearing is. It's not until it comes up to the brain that we're able to fuse those sounds together to form a word. And then to go beyond that, we say, not only is this a word, but it's an animal with four legs that meows. So auditory processing is the ability to kind of take all of the information that we hear and really put meaning behind it. So now I think we can talk about what is an auditory processing disorder. Dr. Harris, want to take a swing at it? Let's see if I can do this. (laughs) So uh, auditory processing disorder is where all the different functions that our brain uses to put all of the sound together to be able to understand it. Uh, some of those processes have broken down. 
So in some cases, it might be that um, someone doesn't understand uh, like sarcasm and the timing of, of the speech isn't there for them. Um, or it could just be a simple, um, well, not simple, but a uh, inability to, for their brain to separate the difference between one sound and another sound. Um, and so it basically all boils down to where the brain and all of its processes are having a hard time understanding that CAT is cat with four legs and meows. Absolutely. And so when we talk about auditory processing disorder in a, I would say, more classical definition, we generally talk about it in how it presents in children. So we mostly see the word auditory processing disorder get thrown around when we're talking about children. And what we tend to see in this population is something like the child or the individual will present with what looks like a hearing loss. So they will come in and either they will or their parents will say, I can't hear a noise. I struggle to hear when people are talking to me. Speech isn't very clear. But when we test them for hearing, their hearing is generally normal. So that's usually an indicator that we might be dealing with an auditory processing disorder. Now, to bring this back uh, to Senator-elect Fetterman, uh, what we saw here is an instance where Senator-elect Fetterman had a stroke. And after that, he exhibited auditory processing-like challenges or difficulty to auditory processing challenges. So I think our immediate reaction is to throw around the term auditory processing disorder as though that is its standalone disorder. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if that's what I would personally call it. A stroke affects the entire brain, mm -hmm. right? And so because of that, it can present with challenges to auditory processing. Mm -hmm. And even clinically, something that we would consider an auditory processing disorder. But his primary problem was that he had a stroke. And that stroke deprived his brain of some of the resources that he uses to pull these sounds together to make sense and meaning of the words. So then whether or not we would clinically define that as necessarily mm -hmm. an auditory processing disorder is one thing or another. The way we would view it and the challenges that would appear to it would be the same. Yeah, I think that one thing that's important is that um, very clinically speaking, we cannot give someone an actual diagnosis of auditory processing disorder if they have any amount of hearing loss at all. Um, but that doesn't mean that two people who have the exact same hearing loss could have different levels of auditory processing. So because again, it's not, it's not about the ear. At the ear level, we're going higher up into neural and brain function. So in this instance with children, is this a developmental type of disorder? or an acquired disorder. It sounds like for adults, it's it could potentially be an acquired disorder, but then with children, how would that kind of come about? So that's a great question. And so it's, a, it's really the million dollar question. If you read studies about the prevalence of auditory processing disorder, you'll see those numbers range wildly. I've seen, most studies I've seen estimate the prevalence of auditory processing disorder in children to be about one to two percent of the population. So one to two percent of those un of that are school aged are thought to have an auditory processing disorder. Now, I've seen studies that go so high as say 98 percent of the population has an auditory processing <laughs> disorder, which I would challenge because if 
the vast majority of people have it. It's probably not a disorder. It's right. more likely a characteristic. Yeah. Uh, so that would be sort of my challenge to that. So the question is really, you know, is it is it developmental to a point? Mm-hmm. Now, personally, I do not test children under seven for auditory processing disorder. Mm-hmm. And the reason that is, is when we think about brain development and all the aspects that go into auditory processing, all the aspects that go into listening, our brains don't even fully start to develop to be able to do those really complex abilities until at least seven. In most cases, mm-hmm. it's not even until eight or nine years of age. Mm-hmm. And depending on the task that we're asking, so if we're talking about, you know, uh, Dr. Harris talked about the timing aspects and the understanding of sarcasm, there's some evidence that shows the brain doesn't fully develop until around age 20 to be able to do that at mm-hmm. an optimal level. So there is a level of development that needs to be considered. But when we see really severe cases of auditory processing in children, it is most likely linked to what we would consider a developmental delay. Um, It could be a neurological delay in that the brain is just not developing physically in the manner that you would expect it to. Mm -hmm. Or it could be a delay in intelligence and a delay. And, you know, not to say that the children aren't smart. They're very smart, but like classical intelligence, classical IQ. It could be a delay in attention abilities. It could be Mm -hmm. a delay in uh, learning abilities. And that can kind of present as difficulty with auditory information. I think one of the most common things that we see this that kind of coexist during childhood is this versus how would you define this versus something like ADHD, which has very similar Mm -hmm. symptoms. And Dr. Ayers, I don't know if you have any insight into that. Yeah, there's definitely, I mean, a big part of understanding um, speech and listening is your ability to stay on task and the ability of your brain to stay focused on what it's doing and using its short-term memory as well. So the thing is, is that, um, especially with auditory processing, in some ways it's almost like a diagnosis of, you know, exclusion Mm -hmm. because, um, you know, we have to disregard any hearing loss. We've got to um, deal with any sort of ADHD, um, certain anxiety disorders are going to pop up uh, with similar symptoms. Uh, Also, autism is definitely a big thing that we have to rule out. Um, Other sort of like signs of audio, uh, signs of um, auditory processing disorder that come up in the classroom, we also have to, uh, we also have to eliminate any sort of learning disability like, um, like Dr. Roman was saying earlier. Uh, So it is a lot of like, okay, I can see you and we can try and test, but I need all of these other possible disorders to either be compensated for or uh, to be uh, eliminated as possible options. Absolutely. And that's also not to say that those with ADHD, those with autism, those with learning disorders, anything like that, don't have difficulties with auditory processing. But auditory processing by itself, like when we talk about auditory processing disorder, sort of its own thing that's separate from all of those. So Mm -hmm. the only way we could formally diagnose those is to rule out all these other uh, disorders and diagnoses. So to link this back, so that's what we see in kids. And I think like if we could have our own podcast specifically on pediatric APD, and Mm -hmm. I have my own class on it. So if anyone's interested... (laughs) 
come to OCA. Uh, but what we, what we want to talk about a little bit more is what we see with Senator-elect Fetterman. And so he relied on the use of a teleprompter, is my understanding, mm-hmm. during a conversation because uh, verbal questioning uh, was very difficult for him. Now, that's something that is not uncommon in both auditory processing disorder and in situations of strokes and aphasia, which he has admitted to experiencing. So what do we see in adults with auditory processing? And when we talk about adults, what's where do we see it more, I guess, is a better question. I would say the majority of situations that we see adult APD are in those that have a sort of traumatic brain injury, mm-hmm. those that have strokes. And we see it a lot in the veteran population, those with mm-hmm. blast exposure, those with PTSD. So it doesn't have to be a necessarily a physical um, impact. It could be in situations like PTSD where we have a high stress, high anxiety um, mm-hmm. neurological deficit that can also present itself. So it is absolutely common, I would say, in adults. And it's something that we do deal with. The presentation is very similar to that of children, though. You generally see individuals struggle to hear a noise. They struggle Mm -hmm. to hear when many people are speaking. Mm -hmm. If the speaker is far away, if you're talking over the phone or over a microphone even, because when we talk in phones and microphones, our voice gets distorted to a bit, Mm -hmm. that might present with challenges. It might present with challenges when they are speaking to individuals that have accents or dialects. So there's a whole range and sort of array of symptoms that could happen. But I would say what we tend to see and what we saw with Senator Fetterman is by no means unusual. Mm -hmm. And what he used, the use of a teleprompter, is almost exactly what we would recommend in cases of APD, be it adult or children. Now, when we talk about auditory processing, I should note that it's just like autism, just like ADHD, it's a bit of a spectrum. As Dr. Ayers alluded to, you know, it can present where you have just issues with timing. And what we recommend for those who have issues with auditory timing is very different than what we recommend with those who have difficulty hearing and noise or what I would call auditory closure. So the use of verbal cues, in this case, a written teleprompter, is something I recommend to nearly every patient that I diagnose with auditory processing disorder. Mm -hmm. And the reason that is, is because sometimes our brain can't process all of those sounds at once. It's not that it can't process it at all. It's possible to. It's just there's a lot of noise to break through. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is by using visual cues, be it lip reading, be it words, it allows our brain to narrow in on what the message is and it allows us to focus and work a little less hard. So I don't think the argument should be that Senator Locke Fetterman, for example, could not understand the spoken sentences. I think he certainly could. I think his brain was working very hard to do so. And so by use of these visual cues, he's able to tune in a lot faster and a lot more efficiently. And I think that's something that we would see in any patient. Um, And we also see that in many patients who have hearing losses in older age. Mm -hmm. You know, that's something that's a conversation that I have with some of my older folks uh, that I see, because as your brain matures, its ability to process these signals in complex environments kind of degrades over time. Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, I all the time talk about um, the use of 
the use of visual aids. I mean, I, I know sometimes I have trouble understanding people. And so definitely when masks became so popular, I was like, oh my gosh, like mm-hmm. what is this person saying? Like, I, I need to be able to see your face because it's not necessarily just lip reading. It's face reading. It's, it's body reading. And so, uh, you know, and so that's important for almost anyone, but especially for someone who um, has some issues with auditory processing. And I think one of the great things that I loved about um, about these debates that was brought up is the advocacy is that he was like, hey, I have this. So therefore, I need I need help in this area or I need this additional support in order for me to do my job normally. Because the biggest issue is that a lot of people will suffer for so much longer with some sort of, uh, you know, hearing problem or auditory processing problem and struggle so much longer uh, than they need to in order to get help in a certain area because they're not willing to admit it. And this also does a lot. I really appreciate him talking about it and opening up about it because then it allows us the opportunity to have this podcast and kind of talk about uh, these issues and maybe some strategies and some different places that you can go to get some help with all of these. Now for hearing aid patients, we know that the longer you go without aiding your hearing loss, your auditory skills will naturally break down because you're not maintaining them through consistency and practice. So with hearing aids, I often recommend that patients, you know, read out loud to begin the auditory training because you're reading and your brain will start to recognize what new sound quality the hearing aid is going to provide. So you're reinforcing it to train the brain because maybe the sounds are not what you remember when your hearing was better. And so that training process is helpful to get better benefit from your devices. Are there similar types of trainings for people that maybe do not have hearing loss? What types of interventions are recommended? So that's a tough question because as I said, auditory processing disorder is a spectrum. So it's not just like, okay, we're going to recommend you have auditory processing disorder. Here is your recommendation. It really depends in like what part of auditory processing do you have a disorder in? Mm -hmm. You know, you can have a disorder in sort of the processing of understanding speech when it's clipped off. Like when we communicate in noise, for example, we're not getting the full message. So you can just have problems understanding when you don't get the full message. You could have problems Mm -hmm. with timing. You could have problems understanding where speech is or where uh, signals are, I should say, in a 360 degree world. Mm -hmm. So it's really dependent on that. And so I would say it's not as clean cut to say, I would recommend this product or this hearing aid or this training product. There are trainings out there that uh, claim to help with auditory processing, but I would recommend that if you personally are listening and listening and say, hey, this sounds like me, I would really recommend that you consult with an audiologist because it's a really, really specific and really, really unique uh, problem that takes a very specialized approach into treatment rather than just saying, do a little bit of auditory training or, you know, go to go to the specialist or anything like that. I think you really need to have a conversation to see where those deficits lie. Yeah, there's definitely different versions like we have talked about. 
um, of auditory processing. And so if, you know, a patient has this form of auditory processing um, disorder, then these are the things that I want you to work on and I want you to practice on. But those recommendations would be absolutely, totally inappropriate for someone else who has a different form of auditory processing disorder. So that's why it is so important to get properly uh, properly examined and diagnosed with exactly what's going on. A hundred percent. And so the other thing I want to talk about, or I just want to remark upon, is that in nine times out of 10, by no means is auditory processing disorder a debilitating disorder. It's right. a huge, it's something that takes a lot of work and a lot of effort, mm-hmm. but it never should exclude someone from participation. You know, I remember yeah. hearing after the um, debate, for example, about Senator Fetterman, how it's like, oh, he has auditory processing disorder. That should, I don't know, exclude him from whatever. That's absolutely not the case. Right. You know, I've seen students, I've seen adults, everyone I've seen who has auditory processing disorder, you might have to make some modifications, you might need to do some practices, some therapies, but that will not stop them from living a very complete, very successful lifestyle. And so I do want to kind of caveat that while we put the term disorder behind it, it's more of a moniker to say this is something that you need to get extra help on or you need to do make some considerations or make some adjustments in your life, mm-hmm. but it's not to exclude anyone from any level of participation. Absolutely. And in some ways it can even be, you know, a benefit if you know, someone who has this type of disorder is naturally going to pay a lot more attention when they're listening mm-hmm. to things. And so when they get that help that they need, they're that much better at listening to people because they've already been practicing and working on those skills for so long. Absolutely. Now, it sounds like there are multiple issues that could arise with auditory processing. When you're evaluating someone, do you see a particular processing deficit more often than another? What comes to mind for me is with the uh, older um, adults that I work with with hearing loss, temporal processing or the speed at which people are speaking to them seems to be a common complaint. So they have a hard time when people are speaking quickly. Um, And I usually recommend, of course, the concept of clear speech for family members where they slow their rate of speaking and put things into shorter, more manageable phrases so it helps them with the ability to understand. Mm -hmm. Are there certain areas where you will see the breakdown more often, such as temporal processing? So it's interesting that you bring up temporal processing in older adults, because there's some evidence out there that temporal processing or timing is linked directly to early stages of cognitive impairment, which we often think about as dementia. So I guess the question is, what do we see most often? It really depends on the population, right? Now, I would say in children, what we tend to see more is what we would call or what I would call classical auditory processing disorder. And that is more difficulty understanding speech and noise. There's a thing called dichotic listening, or when you hear with one ear something different than what you hear in the other ear, but you hear both at the same time. It's a really hard task and something I would see a deficit more in children than in adults. But those are probably the two primary tests that we do that we see challenges in. But again, it really just depends on the person. Yeah, I would also say, um, like my patients who have had 
a stroke or um, a, a TBI have also had um, have had the same thing with the dichotic listening, where it's just the communication between both sides of their brain just isn't working as well as it should. And so oftentimes for those patients, that's also a main issue. Absolutely. So I think to summarize, you know, auditory processing disorder, it's not uncommon. We see it a lot in children, but it's also very common in adults, especially those who've had brain-related injuries, impairments, or traumas. You know, what we saw with Senator Alec Fetterman, in my opinion, brought light, and to echo Dr. Ayer's point, it really brought light to auditory processing disorder, and it allows mm-hmm. us to have conversations like this and to educate those who may not know so much about it. You know, I can't tell you how many students I've seen or how many parents I've talked to when I say, like, tell me what you know about an auditory processing disorder. They really struggle to define what it is. You know, Mm -hmm. they really struggle. They were like, oh, I've heard of it, but I don't know. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really important that we keep having these conversations uh, because it's something that affects a lot of people. And Mm -hmm. unless we have conversations like this, it can really be misconstrued. Well, if you've enjoyed today's topic, join us each month for new topics of the PEI podcast. To find Dr. Blaha, Dr. Roman, and Dr. Ayers, uh, they provide services at the Pennsylvania Ear Institute at Salis University. To contact the office, it's 215-780-3180. Thank you very much. Thank you all. Thank you.